0: Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Straight Shot Health Talk. This is your host, Dr. Kevin. And today we have a special guest. This is Angie Grace, or Angela Grace. I'm sorry, I shortened your name for you.
1: That is fun.
0: (laughs) And Ms. Grace is a yoga practitioner and teacher. She's been doing that for over 15 years. We're going to talk about how she got interested in yoga, her experiences with yoga, but then I really want to get into the details of how she has melded really her learning and understanding with yoga and how she's approached that with pain. And um, where else that has led there. So Angie, great to have you on the show today.
1: Thanks. I'm excited to be with you. All
0: right. So can you just give a little background? I mean, you've been you've been, you know, living and teaching yoga for quite some time, but how did you get interested in doing that?
1: Well, you know, I kind of came into it from the back door um, a little bit more unusually than many people. A lot of people, protect, particularly in the States, come to yoga for the physical benefits. And it was the opposite for me. I've always been curious and really interested in different philosophical points of view. And I happened to be studying with a Tibetan Buddhist teacher who said, Hey, I think you might be interested in yoga, and yoga can help you experiment with these philosophical concepts. So I really entered yoga through the philosophical door, and um, it just just ran from there. And that point, actually, the um, experiences, my experiences and studies with Buddhism that led to yoga, that led to studying with you, really, it ties in very nicely, because in um, uh, Buddhism, as as I was studying with it and and playing with it, has to deal with how your psychology and mind affect your experiences, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So when you came through the door at our yoga studio, and started talking about this model of persistent pain and how important the cognitive and emotive aspects are to a a person's experience of pain, you know, I was just all over that. Oh yeah, I've played in that world for a long time. I've played in the realm of um, how does um, our history affect how we experience life. How does our psychology affect how we experience life? And how, you know, know, these more cognitive and mental aspects of experience. I've played in that realm for so long. So you come in and start talking to it, and its applications to persistent pain. And I thought, okay, here it is. This is for me. I want to learn more about this.
0: Well, there's a lot there. Just, just so, because yeah. um, just so the people in the background know what we're talking about. So there, I, I had given a workshop to a, uh, a yoga studio, which is what, what you were referring to, and that was right. that was a, a three session workshop. It was sort of the the root there. Um, but I want I want to kind of rewind a little bit because you mentioned that you kind of went into the back door about yoga, uh, yeah. and, and went from the philosophical standpoint. But from um, and I know. The Western kind of the Western idea of what what yoga has become and and the way people come in and it sounds exactly like you, what you said is they kind of come from the physical. But if I'm right. remembering correctly, really, the root of yoga was the 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 mental spiritual. And the movement, I think, was designed to enhance that, not vice versa.
1: It, you're You're absolutely correct. Um, And in fact, what we come to know of as asana, the physical postures of yoga, as far as we can tell, are relatively modern, historically speaking. Um, One of the uh, teachers who first brought yoga to the States, Vivekananda, he was not a proponent of uh, physical postures at all. He didn't teach them at all. He did exactly what you were talking about, um, talking about the philosophical um, uh, tenets of yoga and the meditative states that can be achieved. And, and, you know, and, oh. and I would postulate, um, in fact, I do te- talk about this a lot, even in our Western classes where we really come, many, many people come, proposing that they are here, they're here there for the physical aspects the marriage of the breath and movement so strongly affect our nervous system um, that it takes us into meditative states. And that, I think, is what really hooks people on yoga.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, there's, it is, it's definitely unique in a, in, yeah. well, a mindful movement, of, of which yoga would be an example of it, is, is unique, I think, in, um, in combining that, but we do know that physical movement in general can alter your state. Obviously runners right. will talk about the runner's high or right. uh, flow state that comes from, you know, that perfect mix of challenge and experience when you're doing right. some sort of physical activity. Uh, right. But yoga, I think provides a, a good entry point, maybe for someone who doesn't, maybe doesn't think of themselves in that way, or, or doesn't believe that maybe they can, I, I guess some people believe they can't move or maybe they, they right. think that you know yoga is about standing on your head or, <laughs> or <laughs> right. you know putting your your ankle behind your neck or something, but but <laughs> h- you know but that's not true, right? So how how would you introduce somebody with who may be interested, maybe they're experiencing pain and want to use this as, as as a entry point into mastering pain? Um, how w- what would you advise them to do?
1: Um, I think. Um, so there's a lot of different uh, uh, there's a there's a lot to that question, and it would depend on the person's experiences and what they're looking for. So, in any yoga studio in any city in the states, um, you're going to find multi-level classes. You're going to find classes. Uh, that stay seated in a chair, and those are extremely gentle classes. So if someone has lived with um, a physical state such that they are afraid of moving, um, a chair class or a gentle yoga class would be a great option to start. There, And, the, and then, of course, there's a spectrum from, from gentle, from chair to gentle to um, what we might call a mixed level class. And in the mixed level classes, even even in the mixed level classes, very few classes are is anybody standing on their head or putting their foot behind <laughs> their head anymore. So you could go to a mixed level class uh, where people, this, that would be particularly good for somebody who's more athletically bent and, and their nervous systems need more movement for them to feel comfortable. Do you know what I mean by that?
0: No, yeah I, I think I, I do, but you, you can explain Evan? a little bit. Uh, let, me, let me let me tell you what I'm thinking and you can tell me whether this this fits with what you're what you're saying is um, if once you get a certain level of physical activity, there may be something that may be too gentle for you. yes, if, in which case you're not getting some enough sensory stimulation or bodily arousal that you're that you're finding it engaging.
1: So, yes, and it goes even more that uh, – I always look through the uh, lens of the nervous system. If something – if you're a really active person and you have a really active mind, something is too gentle, uh, it's going to be irritating to your nervous system. Mm -hmm. And uh, you're not going to be able to sink into the class. So, for a person like that, going to a mixed-level class so that they get a good bit of movement first – and then can gently downregulate their system. It will feel less threatening to their nervous system than if they say go to a chair yoga class and it is so slow and gentle that their mind can't settle in and they're just they're thinking all this time, oh, I could be doing this and this and this and this and this. That kind of kind of mentality will actually counter the effects of a yoga class. And it has to do with meeting your nervous system where it is, and then either using the techniques of yoga to downregulate or upregulate from there.
0: Yeah, you know, I love that, and I'm so glad that you're talking about that because I think that's so important for really anything when you're when certainly when you're looking from a pain perspective is rather than kind of twist it. um, You know, some people say, well, you have to do this, or this is the the this is the strict technique, and people are even asking for it. I want to know what's the perfect. The right. perfect technique, or who who I have to do, in 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 what's the, what's the perfect class, and and ultimately, just like you said, it depends on the individual, not in this weird sort of, uh, you know, we're we're we we are we do not want to be straightforward, or or you know, we kind of talk around the 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 boat because we don't know really know what we're understanding. Is because when you have that 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 strategic level of understanding, of of what your knowledge base is i.e. what yoga for for in, uh-huh. in neuroscience for you you understand that you're you, now it, the, the it isn't about finding the the perfect or best it's about finding what's right for the individual in front of you
1: absolutely it's about finding what works so you have to look at you have to look at the person in front of you just like you're saying and say okay what are your goals and let's try this technique. Uh, what's the state? What is your neurological state right now? And what is your the goal of the, of the practice? What do you hope to achieve? Do you wanna down regulate? Do you need to upregulate? Let's try this technique. How did that work? What was your experience? Did this work for you? Just because it worked for me doesn't mean it's gonna work for you. So what was your experience? yes no okay let's try something different and i think the multiplicity of techniques is an important thing for folks to know about so we've talked about the different levels of classes anywhere from chair to a gentle to um, a multi-level class but in addition to that there are multiple multiple breathing techniques and meditative techniques that um, you can try. And it's it just what you're talking about. What, who is the person in front of you and what are they looking for? Let's try this approach. Let's try that approach. And, um I work a lot with the Neuromeditation Institute. And at the Neuromeditation Institute, we talk about four broad categories of styles of practice. And so interestingly, just fascinating, um, each style of practice affects your nervous system differently. So, um, for example, focus uh, uh, practices actually elicit relatively fast brainwave patterns in in, uh, the, the prefrontal cortex. So that's good for um, a certain uh, upregulating of the nervous system or a brain brightening um, if you want to become more alert or more attentive or more focused. When I work with people with persistent pain, I tend to use that style of practice to settle a person's nervous system and get them present in the class um, and that's kind of what we were talking about before, so that if someone's had a really busy day or a disjointed day, you can use a focused style of practice to help um, concentrate their awareness and get them to uh, pay attention to this class. And then from there, I would typically move into either a mindfulness style of practice or a quiet mind practice, both of which have a different neurological effect. Both of those styles of practice elicit slower brainwave patterns, which um, uniquely, uh, if you, uh, listeners are interested, the um, ma- mindfulness uh, practices will elicit theta brain waves, which are re- really pretty slow, but in the frontal midline cortex, and then um, quiet mind elicit a different kind of pattern, primarily alpha brainwave patterns in different structures of the brain. But the overall effect of both of those styles of practice are to um, quiet the stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves and to help create a little bit of distance between cognitive reactions and emotional reactions which um, Kevin you can probably um, um, uh, link quite quite quickly that that's extremely beneficial for somebody who's dealing with persistent pain
0: oh no I, I'm listening to you you know and in, in, uh, I'm, I'm, I don't we don't go as deep into the neuroscience here for a number of different reasons but um, when you're looking at persistent pain in general what we're seeing is we're we're there is a disconnect uh, oftentimes between the prefrontal cortex and more of those effective motivational areas. Exactly. And, and it's always like, how can you engage that? And then also just, you know, so it's interesting because I'm, I'm hearing you and then I'm flashing back and I'm listening. And what I love about this is, again, there's an application to the tools. There's a strategic level of application right. to the tools rather than what we will typically say. Like this is this is the dumbification of science medicine and everything else when they're right. just they'll and because even right now right there all this they will we'll say well you just need to go um learn to meditate well what the hell does that mean
1: exactly <laughs> and why yeah and, and why what, and why right and what are you trying to get out of that so 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 um after studying with you i um designed a format which really um you know i I don't want to, yes, it's a a unique way of putting practices together, but it's really dealing with very time-tested yoga practices. So it's new, and yeah, it's not really new, but it's the application of the techniques, the targeted application of the techniques that I think is new and so effective. And um, I call these classes resiliency yoga because – It helps restore and rebuild um, a resiliency, a a pliability to our nervous systems. And we do exactly what you're talking about. Um, We start with these focus practices to kind of settle and stabilize a person's nervous system. Then we move into either the mindfulness or the quiet mind um, practices, which really are so effective and helping a person's nervous system calm down for two effects so they can let go of stories that they've been telling themselves about themselves and gain a little bit of distance between their thought processes and action and their emotions and action. And then once that has happened, once we've uh, practiced to such a, a state where a, ner- a person's nervous system has really down then I introduce a meditative technique that's called remembered wellness, where I um, uh, guide folks through a meditation um, to suggest, hey, uh, maybe there's an alternate version of yourself that you could imagine or remember. Maybe you could remember a time when you weren't. Uh, a person in pain or you could remember a time when you uh, or even imagine a time um, when you moved with grace and elegance and ease. And what we know neurologically speaking is it, it, it's like when an athlete um, uh, you know visualizes crossing the finish line or or su- or succeeding in an endeavor, What we know neurologically is that when a person's nervous system has settled and then you give them this visualization of what it might be like to, let's say, live without pain, their nervous systems then um, start to activate as if that were true. And so we're creating strategically, just like you're saying, strategically creating Uh, different neurological activity. And the effects can be immediate within a session, but cumulative with repeated practice. And then this is another thing that I get really excited about, and I know you do too, because the point of the class is to teach people the techniques so they use them themselves. So it becomes empowering as well. And and when I see that happen, oh my gosh, it's so exciting.
0: Yeah, and, and not only is it exciting is because, um, my suggestion, as you see it, is once you start once you start approaching these these fundamental skill sets, it, it isn't just about quote unquote pain
1: anymore. Right, right. Um, you and I were talking just uh, prior to this um, podcast about how. Um, we 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 look at the model that you've synthesized that that we call the pain triangle, and we say that your um, uh, sensory information, your cognitive information, and your emotional information come together, and from that an experience of pain emerges. And I was telling you what I teach folks is that that's true for. Just about any experience you can think of. I would go as far as say any experience that you can think of, but I, I always add the just in case somebody, <laughs> right? In case as, somebody as much as drink. we know,
0: as much as we right, know right, at right, this right. point in time. Right, right,
1: right. Yeah. So, so I, I talk to people, any experience you have, stop and deconstruct the experience. What is your physical reaction? Um, I always go to physical first. That's a yogic technique and a mindfulness technique, um, in part because it tends to be most readily accessible. But from that, it, and that's an, that's an entry into bringing you into the present moment. In yoga and particularly in mindfulness, we'll say, um, the body can't be in the future or the past. The body tethers you or anchors you to the present. Which is important because um, anxiety jumps you, leaps you into the future, right? Mm-hmm. And depression is tends to be has its tendency in the past. So, can you go first to the physical experience and name the experience in um, as neutral terms as possible? Um, and is does that give you enough space then to look at what what's your emotional reaction? And what's your thought process? What are your emotive reactions and your cognitive reactions? And that that technique, in and of itself, that that technique of deconstructing an experience um, without intention to change anything. So so you don't have to go in and say, um, here's my physical experience, and I want to change this, right? Mm-hmm. You, you go in and you just observe your physical experience without intention to change it. And it, <laughs> it changes everything, right? Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Just the observe, just that technique of deconstructing your experience of persistent pain of an anxious moment of um, a stressful moment is so powerful and, and can change your entire experience.
0: And, it, and um, it it provides a a measure of control. Yeah. That agency. It, yes. It is just it's it's um it is absolutely amazing. And then the flip side of that, again, we're talking about pain, but but you can pull that to any experience, and so you can do this with pleasurable or joyful, and and optimize those, mm-hmm. or or take something that may not be where it should be, and you can. It, 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 it's you know, hit a couple levers and shift where your focus is and reframe some of the meanings and associations. And lo and behold, it it you can dramatically change the experience.
1: You really can. And um, to circle to come back to your point of the pleasurable experiences, right, It's experience neutral in terms of good or bad. These techniques work in all all experiences. And in yoga, we talk about how, And in neuroscience as well, we talk about how our systems are geared to remember and really delve into the negative experience. This is protective, right? It makes sense um, from an evolutionary (laughs) standpoint. It's a very good
0: reason for it.
1: Right, right. There's a reason for it. And we talk about our nervous systems. I, I try to tell people, oh don't get angry at yourself that your nervous system has developed developed these defense modes. Um, It was trying to protect you. It really was trying its best to look out for you. Things have just gone astray and it's no longer helpful. These reactions that you're finding not helpful. But the same is true for the pleasurable experiences then um, in that we tend to uh, let those just slip away. So back to your point of enjoying, making an enjoyable, a pleasurable experience even more enjoyable. If, let's say... You are listening to uh, um, an extraordinary piece of music, you know, and music is one of those things that has the capacity to calm our nervous systems and allow perceived barriers to melt away. So you're in one of these states of expanded connection and ease and contentment. Well, you can recognize that as an experience as well and say, okay, Let me deconstruct this. What is my physical reaction? Well, I feel a sense of expansion in my chest area, my heart center. Okay, name it. What is your emotional reaction? What is your cognitive reaction? Well, in this moment, listening to this piece of music, my mind is really settled. It feels really peaceful. So we're getting into the emotional, the feeling state as well and you can name it and you can mark it both to increase the pleasure in the moment and so that your system remembers, okay, I am capable of these states of connection. Look at this, here I am. I'm marking it, I can feel it physically. I note it emotionally, I note it cognitively. And furthermore, not only does that help you remember, it convinces your nervous system that you're capable of those states, and you can learn to return to those states um, consciously, and that's where agency and the therapeutic effects of these yogic techniques come into play in different states like we're talking about with pain, with um, different um, uh, emotional states, with anxiety, with depression, with um, 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 senses of um you know, persistent stress. So you're right, it becomes so powerful, both on helping you work through an experience you perceive to be negative, and capitalizing on experiences that you perceive to be positive.
0: Yeah, so fun. So fun. But yeah, but the only way that you know, it's the only way you can do that is one, you have to become, uh, well, from the way I always stress it, first you have to be aware of, of a construct, right? That we have to be able to aware that we can, t- to understand that an experience is a construct. Absolutely. And then the, this, and that's powerful in and of itself. But the second part is, in what you know, I've heard you do so often through this little talk here, is now that you're aware, is then you can focus intention. And so it's mm-hmm. this combination of awareness and, and intention that really leads to, You know, that's where I I stop talking about managing pain anymore. This is truly about mastering and mastering of your experience.
1: Yes. Yeah. And we go further to talk about in Resiliency Yoga that these are skills that you can absolutely strengthen with practice. And you practice in states and conditions when you're not quite so triggered both in the positive and the negative you practice these skills what skills skills of observation skills of deconstructing an experience into its elemental components skills of using the technique and you use the words I the words that I would use to rephrase what you just mentioned the skills of directing your intention and your attention those are skills that you can practice and build you practice say in a safe environment such as a yoga class so that when you're swept away by that grand piece of music you can remember to use the techniques to increase the pleasure of the moment and to remember to that you can conscious, to to develop the skill of consciously entering that state So it works in pleasurable experiences. And then on the flip side, in experiences that you you label as negative, you've developed your skills ahead of time so that when you're in an experience, let's say of pain, um, you can remember to bring the skills on board then. Um, It's it's lovely for us to talk about it, uh, but it's the practice and the developing of the skill level that allows you to bring those skills and techniques on board when you really need them.
0: And yes, and, and practice leads to perfection. Yes, you know, <laughs>
1: Yeah, in, in um uh, we in education we say practice leads to permanent.
0: Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's 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 great. Yeah, right. Yeah, because
1: no matter what you practice, um, that's what you'll default to, mm-hmm. which which is the whole point of what I'm talking about. So the whole point of these multiplicity of, of uh, meditative techniques, of breathing techniques, of move mindful movement are to practice it and get the neurological pattern cemented and, and um, ready ready for easy access so that when you're triggered and you're not able to think quite so clearly, your default mode is, the, is these techniques, these practices, um, that you, the, the, the skills that you've strengthened um, ahead of time. Yeah. And, and so then that becomes your permanent default rather than uh, defaulting to something that's less helpful. So one of the examples I I, I use is um, uh, mantra, which is a meditative technique. And the way mantra works um, neurologically is it Um, activated concepts. It makes ready the concept that you've practiced your mantra on so that that's your default mode. So my example is um, you're in traffic in LA and you're stuck, right? And you've got a meeting to get to. Um, And most of our fallback position is Blankety blank, so and so, right? That's our default mode, uh, our default, our fallback um, uh, position in such triggering circumstances is how irritating this is. And I got to get so and so. Uh, I've got to get to so and so quickly, right? And I can't get there. So I'm really aggravated. What if you had been practicing um, a peaceful meditation? Every morning for five minutes for, let's say, uh, four weeks, you've been saying Om Shanti, 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 which is a wish for peace. Shanti means peace. Such that you're in traffic, in L.A., stuck in four-lane traffic, and you can't get to your meeting. But the first thing you think about is uh, your mantra, just because that's what's, what's up for you in your brain. That's how these practices work. That's what I, what I mean by practice makes permanent. Practice makes easy access to these kinds of concepts and these kinds of techniques.
0: No, ab- absolutely. And, uh, and that's some people will, will kind of wonder, well, it, this isn't a quick fix. And that's sort of the point. It isn't a quick fix because quick fixes have quick resolution. <laughs> so.
1: Right, right. Um, Yeah, exactly. And that's that's something interesting we can talk about as well. The the importance of a person reclaiming agency um, and how effective long term that can be, as opposed to um, coming for an injection or a pill and how quick that could be. The relief can be quick, but ultimately disempowering.
0: Absolutely. But I I think let's let's hold that for another episode, because I'm sure I will need to bring you back. And we've been talking for about 30 something minutes now. Okay. but if um, how 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 would people find you?
1: So you can find me on the Web with Angela Grace Falk Yoga or Angela Grace Yoga. You can also find me on Facebook with the same um, uh, title, Angela Grace Yoga
0: awesome and i um yeah. and i love your program Re- resiliency Yogas.
1: yeah and if you are in the corvallis oregon area you can come to livewell studios at corvallis oregon and find me there
0: all right and i will put all that stuff in the show notes and yeah. uh, angie always great to talk to you thank you so much for coming on this was a pleasure you're for welcome me. and for everybody else out there stay well.